0: Welcome to another episode of the Family Business Podcast brought to you by Tharawab Magazine. My name is Ramia Lagami and I'm your host. In family businesses, too often family issues can spill over into the workplace where a lack of communication or long-standing resentments can begin to affect the bottom line. When this happens, many in family businesses can feel overwhelmed with frustration and unsure where they can turn to for help. Ian Marsh is a London based specialist in family dynamics and communication who authored the recently published book If It Is So Good to Talk, Why Is It So Hard? The book is the product of 40 years of experience in working with families as an advisor. It explores the principles of interpersonal neurobiology and how it impacts family dynamics and communication. We sat down with Ian and discussed his new work. Enjoy this episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Family Business Podcast brought to you by Tharawab Magazine. Today, we have a very special guest, uh, Ian Marsh, the author of If It Is So Good to Talk, Why Is It So Hard? A book that he's recently published. Uh, Ian is a specialist in family dynamics and communication, and we'll be talking to him today about his, uh, his book and about the art of communication. Welcome, Ian.
1: Thank you. Lovely to be here.
0: So Ian, let's get right to it. Like you tell us first, first of all, what is the book about? Though I have to say the title is slightly revealing, (laughs) um, but tell us, tell us more about what it is about and what prompted you to, uh, put your thoughts, uh, to paper and, and to publish this, um, this, um, this, this work.
1: Okay. Well, let me take that the other way around and, uh. (laughs) What prompted me, I, I guess, I, I have worked with families and their businesses for a very long time, and I've spent a lot of that time trying to help people through some huge family feuds. Um, um, initially as a lawyer and, and then as a mediator, and I, I realized pretty quickly that there is a limit to what those processes can do for people. Um and I, I realized also that in, in my own working experience, m- most of these conflicts boil down to a breakdown in communication of some sort. And if you could restore communication, then either the problem went away altogether because somebody just invented it as a stick to beat somebody else with, or they were their family was able to get on and sort things out on their own, which is always the better way. And and I came to wondering why it is that even smart, well-educated, well-intentioned people who actually love one another so often struggle to have the conversations they need to have. And, and if, if those folks can't do it, what hope is there for the rest of us, really? So I, 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 I started getting more and more into that to, to see if I could find any answers and the book really is the is the result of that um, and um, for me this is basic life skills stuff, we, we, we should be really good at it uh, we, we, we do it every day um, but most of us aren't some people have a plan but the rest of us we're Too often on autopilot, too many other things going on in life. Um, So my plan was to try and get a message out there and hopefully try and get people to think a little more about something that they, they probably think is instinctive.
0: So now I know, Ian, the whole point of this podcast is, of course, to tell people to get the book, right? Like, so we will <laughs> be encouraging everyone to to get and buy the book, which uh, which I've already had the pleasure to uh, to have a look at. But like, let's just entice them a little bit by maybe giving them the answer to the title, which is, <laughs> if it is so good to talk, why is it so hard? Why is it so hard, Ian? Tell us. Is there like a nutshell sort of like... For you, in your mind, is there sort of like a one-liner answer to that question that you're like, yeah, to me, it boils down to essentially this one thing that makes it so difficult for us to talk to each other?
1: To to get it down to one thing, that thing is we focus on the talk, not on the connection. And until we have a connection, the talk just goes
0: into the wind. I love that. So it's, it's, we focus too much on what we're saying as opposed to the connection we're trying to forge with the other person. So, where do you see this? Like, so you said before, it's actually not something apparently that comes naturally to anyone or like that is something that we can just take for granted. So is what you're saying essentially that this is something that we always should be working on very consciously, that this is a this is not a God given skill at all. This is not something that humans just know how to do. This is something we should all be working on?
1: I I actually think we do know how to do it. I just think we've maybe forgotten. Um we we struggle with a neolithic brain in a digital age. And I think that is part of it where uh, a lot of this is, you've heard of fight flight. Most people have heard of fight flight freeze. Uh, some of the work I came across, with a guy called Stephen is when I was researching the book, he, he's changed it, reclassified it as Socialization, mobilization, and immobilization. And he and numbers of other researchers say that our our default mode is to socialize. We need to socialize partly because we're mammals and we our offspring have a very long period of immaturity. If we don't cooperate, their chances of getting to adulthood aren't great. But It's a big nasty world out there, and we're always on the lookout for threats, and when we perceive a threat, we we trip into mobilization mode, Um, and at that point, really interesting things start happening in our bodies, where our ears work, changes, so we can't pick out one voice in a crowd anymore. The pitch of our voice changes, so we're sending out different signals. the muscles in the face freeze, so we can't mimic what other people's faces are doing. So it's harder for us to read their minds. So we're 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 becoming cut up, uh, and that's that's when we lose the easy ability to to, to communicate. Um, so so a lot of this is how how do we avoid that, um, and, and that's a challenge because I think. Yeah, you know, we're not worried about predators so much, but we're spooked by everything around us. Um, yeah, I think I think we have so much bandwidth. Um, as yeah, if we're hungry, some of it gets used up. If we're angry, some of it gets used up. If we're tired, some of it gets used up. Uh, and I, and I think we can almost reframe uh, the fear piece of Gorge's work as if all the stresses that are being piled on us exceed our bandwidth to cope with those stresses, then we click into mobilization mode. So one of the approaches I take is that we need to keep the person we're talking to in social mode, because if if they go into mobilization mode, they're going to hear nothing. Um, I think think one of the classic examples, which I mentioned in the book, is, is the... You know, talk to anybody who's had a cancer diagnosis and they, they hear the C word and they hear nothing the doctor says to them in the rest of that interview. And and, and some people even, you know, they've been so shocked. Um, they, why wouldn't they be? Um, but the system just shuts down and they, and they don't hear anything. Um, and it happens on a much more trivial level in a, in a lot of our conversations. You have, you know the right conversation but at the wrong time in the wrong place and all these stresses flood into you uh, and you shut down. So if we know that, take some responsibility for
0: it. So, so no, Ian, we know that there are very few environments where this uh, this kind of miscommunication or lack of communication or bad communication is as fatal as in the family business, because, uh, of course, you don't only jeopardize the the business health, but you also jeopardize the family dynamics. So there's a double loss there potentially uh, for anyone who's part of a own family owning uh, business owning family. Sorry. Sure. Um, so. You know, in, in in your experience with all your clients that you've seen over the years, and also all this experience that have been sort of like you now channeled into the book, um, where do you see that challenge arising? The you know the most.
1: I think it's more individuals that, that I think the way it presents is possibly different in each of those cases. The succession issue is so huge that. There is a lot of angst around that. There are people who are being asked to do things they don't want to do. There are people being denied things they do want to do. Um, there's the whole you know, birthright thing comes into it in some families, and all the conversations that have and haven't taken place, you know, up to that point. Um, so, I, so I think individual family culture is is. Is probably as big an influencer uh, as, as, as anything else. I think mean, families can create a space in which it's easier to communicate. They can create a space in which people are more relaxed, so they connect more easily, and they can have open conversations. And some families just do it naturally. It must be great to be in one of them. Um,
0: it must be great. <laughs>
1: But, but, but other families, you know, not deliberately, obviously, but they create the opposite. And, and every communication can then become a challenge. And I guess the vast majority are you know, somewhere on that spectrum in between.
0: But I mean, you've been a huge advocate of mindfulness, I know, um, for for a very long time. And so this idea of practicing mindfulness, so in everything that you're saying right now as well, like if we practice mindfulness, we are aware of when another person starts drifting away from from what we're trying to tell them. We are aware when the misunderstanding starts happening. So uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit more the difference maybe between mindfulness and also self-awareness and how these things play into becoming better At talking to other people, whether it be in the family business or somewhere else.
1: Okay, I I think the difference between mindfulness and awareness. I I think the the degree of focus, awareness comes and goes. I think the, the, the first exercise in being mindful is learning to focus and learning to focus on one thing to the exclusion of others. That becomes really useful in being able to focus completely on the person you're talking to, because that's key to it. But it's really difficult to do that if you can't first deal with the stuff that's going on in your own head. I I think also it's... being mindful is non-judgmental and non-reactive so if if you're doing an exercise where you're being mindful of what's in your own body and mind it, it is being aware of it but it's seeking not to not to react to it if you do then you process that reaction too you may notice that you feel a particular emotion and and it's unpleasant. So you notice the unpleasantness as well, rather than getting lost in it. As you go along, as you practice these things, you get lost all the time. Uh, And then you realize that you're lost and you come back to the starting point. And it's just uh, the practice element of it is to keep doing that over and again. If the Mm -hmm. object of your Focus for the mindfulness is the breath, which is what I mostly use. Then when I notice uh, my attention's wandered somewhere else, I just bring it back to the breath. And, and just that in itself over time leads to uh, less reactiveness. Uh, things that used to bind me up very quickly uh, bind me up less quickly, less often. mm mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. And and that's part of the start of it, because, because I'm no longer reacting to what's going on in me. I've got more bandwidth to focus on the other person. And if I hold my focus on the other person, they feel much more relaxed because I'm not coming across as a threat. So they're more open to what I'm saying. They're more likely to be open and honest in what they say to me.
0: So, are we yet talking about my favorite word in your book, the mind monkeys? is this is this having control of mind monkeys? because i I have a very strong visual of the mind monkeys. You say, mind monkeys do not need much rest, and they breed like rabbits. And I thought that was an excellent, really great quote um, (laughs) out of your book. Um, So just to like refer to your answer just now, so is this basically gaining control of those mind monkeys and not letting them run the show? Does that come close to that?
1: I I think it's certainly not letting them run the show. Uh, Whether you ever... I'm not sure that you actually control them. I think it's more that you let them play their games and and don't get drawn into
0: it. Um, okay. I
1: mean, it's. I mean, it it, it comes from a, there's reference into in the Buddhist text to monkey mind, um, which was an interesting expression. But for for me, the image of you know. A troop of monkeys swinging from thought, one thought to the next and spinning stories in my head was just how I experience it when when, when they get going. So uh, yeah, I, I think uh, learning to live with your your mind monkeys is uh, is is something we all need to do.
0: So um, apart from these lovely mind monkeys, which by the way, in my mind are extremely, they're tiny and hairy for some reason, it's very interesting. So um, <laughs> we we'll let them swing around for a second. I think one of the greatest challenges that we see in family businesses when they're tried, when family members are at the stage where there has been miscommunication and when they're trying to find their way back to talking to each other, um, is probably that we tend to focus on the other person do you have any tips for our listeners, uh, Ian, as to how you can sort of like free yourself from that and start focusing on your own way of communicating in order to provoke change? Like, do you have any tips?
1: I, I, I think there are, there are several things you can do. The, I mean, I think the, one of the biggest traits you can try and cultivate is, is, is curiosity. Um, Uh, Because I I think we, our natural way of being is to assume that everybody else sees the world like we do. Um, And when uh, there is just so little evidence for that, because if we all saw the world the same way, it would be really easy, wouldn't it? (laughs) Um, And when when you look at the science, you know, we are so so, so different. Our genetic makeup is so complicated that tiny changes make huge changes in us. Our brains are formed by our experience and our experiences are are just so different, maybe on a subtle level, but over time they make great differences. So the thing, one of the things that was so powerful for me was the realization that it, it is all, it's not an impossibility, but it's statistically incredibly remote If anybody has identical world experience, life experience than I do, So if we don't, it, 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 it became really easy for me to say, well, everybody else is seen the world differently. So the question is, why is it so hard? But you know, how, how is it that we ever manage to succeed? Um, and I think when people take different views, you know, the, the rational thing to do, even though much of this is about the irrational, the rational thing to do is to find out why. You know, why is your experience so different than mine? And getting past the hurt can be a difficult thing. Um, you know, a lot of offence is, is, is taken rather than given. I'm, I'm sure there are people out there who... It's set out to offend, but, but most of us, most of us don't. And, you know, one way to articulate it is instead of going on the offensive, just to say gently, you know, do, do you realize that when you do this, this is what I feel? Um, and, and most people are really shocked when you do that, because yeah, it generally wasn't their intention to create that reaction. Um, and if they're not aware they're having that effect on you, how can, you know, what reason do they have to change? If, if you tell them if they're having that effect, then, you know, change can begin. If you do it in a non-aggressive, non-threatening way, they're more likely to hear.
0: If I'm in a family business and, uh, or actually any, any walk of life, I would say this is probably important, and... I see communication getting stuck, I see that, that it's, it's becoming harder and harder to talk to certain people. That might be very important to me for several reasons. Um, how can I foster curiosity in myself, but also in others, to explore and challenge their own uh, views?
1: I think the first thing that you don't do is tell them to be more curious, because they'll say, why should I be more curious? <laughs> I'm very curious. I, I, I think you can, as with a lot of things, the, the starting point is to is to model the behavior you want. So if, if you become more curious, manage to do it in a non-irritating way, then other people may start doing that around you. And I think that's true of the communication as well. It's great if a whole family will commit to trying to improve its communication, but one person changing the way they do things on a consistent basis will change what happens within the group, and strange things happen then. So modeling is a, is a great tool. I think the simple act of discipline, of asking more questions, Becomes a self fulfilling sort of prophecy. I think if you can consciously make yourself inquireable, you will do it more readily and more readily. I, I, I have certainly found that. And there are so many things in the sorts of situations you describe where our instinct is to make a statement, which is a very left brainish sort of thing to do. If you can reframe that into a question, it produces a different outcome. Yeah, We're, we're almost primed, particularly in that sort of scenario, to become adversarial when, when statements are exchanged. Yeah, That's the, the whole idea of debate, which yeah, you use in its general sense is a very good thing, but it's you know, when you look at when schools... When I was taught to debate at school, I was, we started off arguing for things we believed in and then we were told that if you're going to be good at debate, you have to be able to argue just as strongly for things you don't believe in. And so, and it's a very adversarial process, whereas asking questions, particularly open questions, uh, particularly non-leading open questions, uh, starts drawing people into the, into the conversation. And my experience, they tend to follow suit, not not necessarily in their first few sentences, but if, if that becomes a practice with them, people will adopt the behavior.
0: So another thing that seems to be become very apparent when uh when i hear you speak about these things is that these things take time so if 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 someone is like if we're stuck in a patterns and dysfunctional patterns of communication uh to undo such things is a is a is a long-term project probably it's not something that's going to happen overnight that's for sure um to deploy that kind of patience how does that work how how do you sort of like stay motivated
1: i see it as a lifestyle not a not an objective or if you if you put it in a it, it's the difference I think between wanting to lose weight and wanting to have a healthy diet which will probably cause you to be a different weight uh, I I don't see this as a as a program which ends up with oh look I'm more skilled that. it's a way of interacting with other people. And will, will that evolutionary older part of you that wants to hide or thump people go away? No, of course it won't. Will you still have really bad conversations that go wrong? Yes, but you will have fewer the more you practice this stuff. Uh, is is my belief and thus far my experience. Um, so I I think one of the things one of the things you do to achieve that is, is not to have a destination in mind. This this is just something you decide to do. And if you come back to the mindfulness piece of it, the more I do it, the more I find it, it becomes easier. You still have days when it doesn't work, situations where it doesn't work. It becomes easier and it becomes more an um, instinctive part of life. And that life is easier because people hear what you say and you hear what they say. More I love
0: often. the idea of that being a lifestyle. Um, Ian, Like, thank you very much for talking to us about uh, curiosity, uh, mindfulness, mind monkeys—not to forget—and and, and uh, talking to us about your new book. If it is so good to talk, why is it so hard? Which is available. On the link that you see below this podcast, please go and and have a look. We recommend it very warmly for family businesses and everybody else. Actually, I don't think that there's any area in life where we should not learn to be better communicators, where it would not be nice to talk to each other in a better way. Ian, thank you very much for joining our show today. Thank you.
1: No, Thank you very much. It's been great.